Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, over the weekend, about 4,000 people gathered in Calgary for the UCP's AGM. It's believed to be the largest political convention in Alberta's history. By the end of that weekend, the David Parker-led Take Back Alberta had taken control of the UCP board and the party's most ardent supporters passed several controversial resolutions. What does this all mean, including for the premier herself? We get into it in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Grateful to have you joining us on this episode of Real Talk on the heels of what is believed to be the most well-attended political convention in Alberta's nearly 120-year history. Uh, the United Conservative Party's annual general meeting will be our focus for much of today's show. Not all of it, but much of it. In just a second, we'll talk to Erica Barudis, who was there, and her podcast partner, Cheryl Oates, who has been at conventions kind of like this in the past, but with the NDP, the two of them, as you know, co-hosting Alberta's newest political podcast, The Discourse. It's Monday, which means Charles Adler will join us, and I know he's chomping at the bit to get to what the new look United Conservative Party board means for the premier and for the province. And of course, it's the first Monday of November, the first Monday of the month, which means we get to hang out with the president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce, Shauna Feth, with an eye on Alberta business. We'll take a look at Bill 1, the first week of the fall session down at the Alberta legislature and what that means for small and medium-sized business owners and you. It's all coming up as well as Positive Reflections, a survival story today we can't wait to tell you about. That's coming up before we say goodbye. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello who want to let you know if you're one of those that's looking for a new career, you woke up this morning to get ready for work and you just went, Ugh. you're going to be stuck in a cubicle with people you don't even like. You're going to be busting your butt for somebody else's benefit, not even your own. If you're looking for unlimited earning potential, a career in real estate could be your perfect match, and that gets started today by enrolling with Rello. That's R-E-L-O. Rello is Alberta's top real estate school, and they want to support you every step of the way, from studying for your exam to getting your license and beyond. Plus, with Rello, don't forget, you can study 100% online, which means your schedule is the only thing dictating your pace. And right now, a great offer for real talkers. You can save 20% on any Rello course. That's a big deal. With the code REALTALK, all one word, REALTALK, you can get started today at Rello.ca. We're going to take you to the United Conservative Party's AGM. Here's a quick clip from Premier Danielle Smith, who delivered about a 17, 18-minute speech to a packed house, nearly 4,000 people in the audience. We'll talk about the dynamic of that address. We'll talk about what got a standing ovation and what didn't. But here's Premier Danielle Smith setting the tone over the weekend. The conservative movement in Alberta is stronger than it's ever been, and it's growing faster than it ever has. And we are more united as a movement, as a caucus, and as a party than ever before. And oh yeah, since we last gathered as a party last fall, we ran against our NDP socialist friends <laughs> and their allies 
in the union movement in a provincial election. And maybe you didn't hear, but we won. That was Danielle Smith in front of a raucous crowd of about 3,800 people. <laughs> Erica Baroudis was there. She has served as Premier Smith's principal secretary. Erica was, of course, the founding president of the United Conservative Party. Uh, she partners up every week with Cheryl Oates, who was Premier Rachel Notley's director of communications. The two of them launching. Congratulations on Friday, just a few days ago. The first episode of The Discourse, a brand new podcast. Uh, congratulations on that. You left our studio after recording The Discourse and went straight down to Calgary to be at that convention. Were you expecting what you saw down there? Almost 4,000 people. Well, I mean, I, I knew that the, the number was going to be big, but I actually have a, an award for the next generation. And so I had an opportunity to address the crowd on Friday night to give out that award. And I think we all know I've never met a microphone I don't like. Mm. But like looking out to that crowd was was pretty incredible. The energy was was high in the room. Um, and I've attended lots of provincial uh, conservative conventions as well as federal. And I've never seen anything like this. Uh, Cheryl, my guess is that you were not at the convention down in Calgary. <laughs> but are you going to prove me wrong? I was not at the convention. No. What do you make of it? 3,800 people in the room. This is a pretty big deal for an AGM three and a half years out from an election. Absolutely. No question. 3,800 is a really impressive number for an AGM. I think, though, what's concerning is who makes up that 3,800 people and what are they so organized behind? I think there are a lot of... uh, more moderate conservatives in Alberta and those who are, who are maybe sitting more in the center who were on the fence about who to vote in the last who to vote for in the last election and watched this convention maybe from afar this weekend and didn't necessarily see themselves reflected in it like we really saw a representation of the UCP that is far further right than what they had presented during the campaign can i jump in on that cuz as I was there, I actually made mention to a few people. I was like, oh my gosh, is this 2012 again? Like there was people, and I was PC at that time. I wasn't Wild Rose yet. And I was like, there was people that I haven't seen in a long time. And so I think Cheryl's right when she said there was people sitting on the sidelines this last election, but we're really seeing them. So maybe a little bit more left of of the, the UCP coming back into the fold, the more progressives. And we did see, I mean, just a general overall growth. I mean, it's, it's a winning team. It had momentum coming out of May. So the, the number is huge, but I don't think that the people in the crowd reflect what Cheryl said. The assertion is basically that progressive conservatives voted for the United Conservatives in May, but there weren't a lot of progressive conservatives in the room this weekend. Fair assessment? No, that's what I'm saying. It's like that 2012 was like PC time and there was so many people I haven't seen in a decade. So there was more progressives than I and people that I had always a surprise to see there back at convention. So I think there's going to be a huge argument that there was more growth on the the right um, but there was also growth on the left. I think it's just a bigger conservative tent than than what we saw a year ago. Cheryl, you think you agree? No, I don't agree. I well, think, I was there. Like, it's, just kidding. It's, <laughs> Erica was there. I was not there. Um, but I think if you look at the outcomes of this weekend, you can see who was attending the convention. You look at the board elections. I mean, there was many people inside the party and outside of the party that were worried that the UCP's board was going to be taken over by extremists. And it was. And if you look at the policies that were passed in in terms of resolutions, many, many of them were much further, much more socially conservative than things that have been talked about during the election campaign or since. And with the overwhelming support those resolutions received, 
I think it's fair to say that the people in the room were representative of a social conservative sect of the UCP. So basically like 30 resolutions, just one of them didn't mm-hmm. pass on school vouchers, right? I'm, I'm citing Don Braid's reporting on this in the Calgary Herald. Um, uh, you know, a crowd demanding abolition of diversity offices in universities, banning race as a factor in admissions, ending the transfer of transgender convicts to women's prisons, purging school libraries, the right to approve changes to kids' pronouns. We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, the freedom of doctors to ignore their professional associations, which is obviously a huge one. We'll do a whole show on that. Uh, the right to keep guns and a whole lot more. As a matter of fact, Johnny, why don't we go to that clip? This is a Premier Danielle Smith talking about parents' rights. Now, this is a story that's obviously uh, dominated political conversations across the country, led by Premier Blaine Higgs. He's the one that kick-started it all in New Brunswick. Uh, Premier Scott Moe followed. Remember the notwithstanding clause? We were talking about that in Saskatchewan a couple of weeks ago. And, and here was Danielle Smith's nod to that. I want every parent listening today to hear me loud and clear. Parents are the primary caregivers and educators of their children. successful province or a successful society without strong and nurturing families. And regardless of how often the extreme left undermines the role of parents, I want you to know that parental rights and choice in your child's education is and will continue to be a fundamental core principle of this party and this government, and we will never apologize for it. So that was uh, that was the only standing ovation of the entire speech until the end, which says a lot. A lot of talk about socialists and the extreme left. The extreme left are the ones that want to, quote, protect the kids. And she's the one that's going to protect the parents. That, to me, is sending a pretty strong signal to the room. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely speaking to the room. But, I mean, maybe I'll ask you guys this question. Mm -hmm. Besides the the socialist comment, maybe, um, what did you disagree with with what she said? about parents being primary caregivers and educators of their children. Well, Cheryl, what do you read into it? You, you've been a decom for a premier. Yeah, I, I, this, I think this is really worrying for me watching the convention. And I had heard, I mean, in the lead up to it, that as Take Back Alberta and those sitting on the social conservative side of the UCP um, sort of look for a new issue to rally behind, that this would be sort of what they latch on to and look for to push the government to enact policy Um, to protect parental rights. And I really, really deeply hope it doesn't come to this because as we've seen across the country, this is a divisive, divisive wedge issue. And at its very best, it is an incredible distraction from the things that people are talking about about their kitchen at their kitchen tables, like the affordability crisis, like access to the healthcare system. This is such a divisive and distracting issue from the things that I think Albertans care most about right now. And I hope that it doesn't become a bigger issue or a higher temperature issue in the legislature this session. But I think this has actually originated from the left pushing and, you know, we get referred to as as bigots if we don't support something like this. I think the root of this is fundamentally that parents you know, are the guardian. They are the caregiver of children. So why shouldn't they know of things that are going on in the classroom? And the left always, I, I believe the left has pushed some of this issue, um, making it the wedge issue, saying that, you know, there's this very small population that doesn't feel safe. And I, I, I definitely sympathize for that. But at the, at the fundamental side of this is that most parents, almost all parents 
want what's best for their kids. And that's what this signals to me rather than um, some of the messages that we get spin from the left. So I agree, we should be talking about affordability and things like that. But your side is doing no better to this issue um, of driving a, a narrative about how horrible the, the right is um, on this and that like parental rights is a bad thing. I don't I don't believe anything in my body says that parents being involved is, is a negative thing. Cheryl. And I think you will struggle to find any politician across the country on the right or the left who disagrees with that. Uh -huh. I think it's very possible, and I think you've heard this from progressive premiers and progressive opposition leaders, that it is possible to say, yes, let's absolutely make sure that parents are the most involved party in their child's life. And let's do that at the same time that we protect, protect kids, even trans kids, when they're attacked and when they're attacked by politicians. And it's possible to do both of those things and still make sure that parents are the primary uh, caregiver and the primary advice giver to their children as they make these decisions throughout their so life. Can, can I just ask then, like, what about this isn't doing exactly that? You're fundamentally keeping parents as the primary caregiver. Yeah, I, we, I think we, everybody just knows what it is. Or it's just it's just a nod to but the I don't people know what in the you're room that are there. So, so for example, when the premier's like, you know, Alberta's going to be at 10 million people uh, by 2050, and everyone's like, yeah. <clears throat> and then she's like, and that means we need to have rail between major cities. And everyone's like, yeah. And then she's like, and expand our energy. And they're like, yeah. And she's like, and then look out for parents. And everyone's like, yeah. It's well, like, I would okay, say being okay, in the okay, crowd, I, I there think... was uh, like a semi, not that big, but like, a decent, there was quite a few people standing up for healthcare reforms too. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't the only thing. Yeah, it was just the big, big one. Um, momentum. And that came actually right before the, the parental rights I comment. would say that as a matter of fact, when she, my word's not hers, when she said we're basically going to blow up AHS, she talked about decentralizing and, you know, yeah. moving power, you know, moving resources back to the front lines. Probably the second most applause, the second loudest applause yep. in the room. Um, we're going to get to Adler in just a second, but let me ask you, I know both of you have to go as well. You've both, you both have experience in this regard. Um, the board has a, a significant degree of influence within a party. So, so in is Rob Smith as mm -hmm. the new president of the United Conservative uh, Party, uh, replacing Cynthia Moore. Uh, Rick Orman wanted to be that, but lost. Uh, these resolutions um, are not marching orders. Daniel Smith told reporters that she'll look to find the right balance after talking about cocking. But Jason Kenney's been in this uncomfortable position before as well. Remember his famous quote? He said, I hold the pencil or I hold the pen on yeah, policy, yeah. Uh, right? And so she's not bound by these. Um, and she has to know that they would be politically unpopular, some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I mean, I'm curious for both your take on this. Erica, you first, if you muck around with a board, especially one like this, controlled by Take Back Alberta, ultimately could impact Daniel Smith's own political survival. <laughs> Sorry, I just choked on my own air. Um, yeah, I mean, the board doesn't have as much influence as I think we're all we're all giving it. It's a year that was just after an election. <coughs> Excuse me, um, just after an election and one where they have a platform. So, um, you know. Yes, I think that there is some influence from outside coming into this board. Rob Smith is a constituency association president. He's not a two-minute Tory coming in to just, uh, you know, hold this spot. Hopefully he can chair a meeting well, because that's actually the role of the president. Um, but what does it mean for the party? Like right now, we're not fighting. Take Back Alberta started as an entire thing because they were frustrated um, with the leader and with the, the, the governing party. Right now, we're at 3,800 people. We're pretty united this weekend. Um, so right now I don't think it's a concern in any way shape or form uh that that if that happens sure but like this isn't really the year I would see as like the most powerful strategic move to to take over a board quote unquote every premier every political party leader Cheryl uh, deals with this right resolutions I mean with the NDP 
an mm-hmm. example, maybe resolutions that swing quite far to the left, where a premier like Rachel Notley says, I, I can't possibly do this or we'll, we'll lose the room. Uh, talk to us about your experience in this regard. I mean, I think the UCP is a little bit different just in terms of the power that the uh, board and the membership either do have or believe that they have. Um, and I think Albertans should be concerned. I mean, there were, were a lot of very socially conservative resolutions passed this weekend, and the person elected to be the president of the board is the chosen person of the of Take Back Alberta, the socially conservative section of the UCP. And yes, it's absolutely true that resolutions are not marching orders. No government, no premier is obligated to uh, to bring them in as law in Alberta. But Ask Jason Kenney how it works out if you don't listen to the board in the UCP. Like, I mean, there was a huge movement to push back against him, and he was eventually forced out as premier. And Daniel Smith knows that. Daniel Smith knows how important it is to keep these people happy. And I think that Albertans should be concerned that she will at least in some part have to cater to them. Jason Kenney was not pushed out by his board in any way, shape or form. Um, You know, when it came down to it, I mean, there was a leadership vote that he actually won uh, and chose to step down. So, Just, but not, not enough. Oh, totally. I, and I he don't disagree. Really like, win it, right? <laughs> Tech. You don't. You don't. You don't win a math <laughs> test when you get fifty-three percent, right? It's not and winning. let's ask Take Back nice, Alberta nice... why they think Jason Kenney had to leave. Yeah, but Take Back Alberta is one part of a party. I frankly don't care what they think. I care what the overall membership says. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, all I know is I can't wait to hear or watch episode two of The Discourse, <laughs> which is going to be out coming up on Friday. You can subscribe to The Discourse on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, hosted by our guests this morning, Erica Brudis and Cheryl Oates. Thanks to the both of you for doing this. Congrats on the new show. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Charles Adler coming up in literally 60 seconds. Want to let you know that this conversation is supported by Real Talk partners like our friends at Complete Care Restoration. Uh, I talked to you a lot about how they help people get back on their feet with fire and flood damage, right? That's kind of how they made their name over the past decade or so. But they're also experts in hazardous material removal. Uh, my apologies to those of you watching this on YouTube for this photo. This, this is black mold. This is what you don't want to find in your place, as you know especially when you open up a wall. But if you do, heaven forbid, this is not the type of thing you want to manage on your own. Complete Care Restoration employs in-house personnel to deal with a variety of materials and situations that could all be part of an insurance claim process. They have experts that have years of experience. Uh, They work with emergency services, repair services. They partner with Alberta Health to ensure that all services meet the strict standards of care Make sure you have Complete Care Restoration on speed dial, 780-454-0776. If you ever need them, you find them on the Sponsors tab on our website or at completecarerestoration.ca. And our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know about something exciting they have, but it's not going to last for long. I guarantee it. It's honey. It's honey straight from the roof of their Rabbit Hill location. That's their South Edmonton location, the one that won the gold medal for the best grocery store in Canada this year. Well, they've got Rabbit Hill honey available for sale to customers in Edmonton, Fort Saskatchewan, and Stony Plain. This is a limited run. Basically, when the honey's gone, the offer's gone. The sale opened on November 1st, which means you've got just probably, my guess, is a couple more days to pick up Rabbit Hill Honey at Rabbit Hill, Fort Saskatchewan, and Stony Plain Friesen Brothers. Yeah. 
Something about honey where you know the source. Oh, you know where it honey. came from, right? Happy Monday, honey. My relatives keep bees, so I've learned a little bit more about it. And oh, have you? Yeah, you always want to, when, when you're, when you're uh, looking at, you have an opportunity to like check out honey that's made in, I don't want to say small batches, but if mm. it's like an, an independent beekeeper or a small family operation, yeah. you always look around like, do they have clover in the area? Mm-hmm. Or like, where are the bees getting the, you know, and then yeah. that influences the flavor of the honey. And it's super yeah. cool, man. Bees, super cool. Bees kind of a weird thing for plant-based people. I used to be like let the bees be free now i'm like we need beekeepers like with everything that's happening with bees across the world yeah like, we need we actually they're the one animal we need people like actually raising and making more and i of think that's maybe why there's been uh, yeah. support for things like people keeping bees in their backyards mm-hmm. and some do pilot it. projects anything right? we can do to help them yeah, we, I, I, yeah that was like one of the first things we taught our little guy it was like there's a big difference <laughs> between a bee and a wasp kiddo there's a yeah. big difference hey little note here i went to uh, just read up on rob smith on the ucp website and uh 404 uh-oh this yeah, page doesn't page is exist taken right down now. i saw that page was taken down we're yeah. gonna learn a little bit more about the dynamic obviously in in weeks and months to come of what this AGM will mean for the party, for the Premier, and for Alberta. But hey, we go to our next guest for his gut instinct, Canadian common sense takes the first episode of every week. He's an Emmy Award winner and a great friend of this show, the host of the Charles Adler Show, wherever you get your podcast. My man, Charles Adler. How you doing, pal? Good, Ryan. Can you see me as well as I can not see you? You can't see me. Well, I can see, see you. you. I can see you. You look fabulous. Okay, I love bye. your Jespo <laughs> snapback cap. Yeah. So your take, you were obviously, like the rest of, of Canada, to a certain yeah. degree, to varying degrees, probably paying some attention to what was going on in Calgary. Your thoughts on the UCP AGM? Well, it was it was a so- social conservative orgy, and it was um, <laughs> so orgy-like. Uh, just, uh, oh, I won't take it beyond that, but it was... It was Adler's it, here. It, was so, it, just, it, just, it just felt like anybody who had an opposing view was, uh, was squashed. Anyone who wanted to even question what was going on about the resolution... Resolutions was crushed. I mean, Don Braid, who has been covering these things forever. I started reading Don Braid in the in the nineteen eighties. So I've been, I think I've read about ninety percent of his columns. I have never seen Don Braid, and I, I, I use these words uh, cautiously. I have never seen a Don Braid column where Don Braid came across to me as an uh, as an Albertan who's actually afraid of the future. I mean, this is this is a a fearless journalist. He has seen the worst of the worst. And what he saw this weekend, and I realize some people say this is not this is not fair because Don Braid is not on the screen. Don Braid is not on the podcast. But I'm telling you, Don Braid was more than just turned off. He said that he hadn't seen anything this social conservative since since the days of social credit. So I mean, we 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 wound our clocks back by I guess an hour this weekend. But it it, it feels like. Um, Alberta progress has been wound. I'm talking about social progress. Has been wound back, you know, by 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 half a century. I mean, who the hell wants to return to the days of Alberta social credit? Except what I would generally think of as maybe a a handful of of hillbillies. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think certainly uh, there is an unignorable, undeniable uh, dynamic change at the very top at the board. There's no way that people can deny that. I mean, that's something that, you know, David Parker is walking with great swagger right now, the Take Back Alberta founder, uh, talking big game right now. The question is... um, you and I have talked about AGMs in past at, at the at, you know federal provincial level. We've yeah. about different parties resolutions. They're they're significant because I think they get people's attention, 
and they, 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 they sort of, to the, to the more general public, communicate about the priorities of the most ardent and involved party supporters and members, but they're also not marching orders for a premier. So if you're Danielle Smith waking up this morning, where's your head at? Well, if this was just another stakeholder, if this was the Alberta Libraries Association or something, that'd be one thing. But this is Take Back Alberta. These guys are serious, and David Parker has a record for decapitating leaders of the UCP. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can ask Jason Kenney. Jason Kenney called them lunatics. So what's the message to progressives that supported the party in May that are now maybe getting a little bit nervous. Is that a thing? Well, you know, progressives, the progressives, that's, that's the last thing in the world that David Parker uh, thinks about or cares about. I mean, what about moderates? I mean, I think of myself as a, as a moderate conservative, I, you know, I'm not going to label yeah. you Ryan, but I'll just ask you, no, if you don't I, mind the, you know, no, I, don't mind, I welcome the question and then I'll, yeah. Okay. I mean, just, uh, just ask you without you, you know, labeling yourself. Do, do you do you really want um, a premier of Alberta uh, to feel in every way, every day, to have a gun at her head from David Parker? Regardless of how well behaved David Parker was in your last interview, you know that he's he's a he's a, he's a lot slimier than he came across in in your podcast. He was very well behaved. I would say this um, that I think the word progressive is. Uh, it's actually probably a word that I, maybe I should stop using because when I use it, I use it in the context of, of a progressive conservative. But now progressive, I think, is coming across as a completely different thing where you say, well, I'm not talking about progressives. I'm talking about moderates in my world or in my intention of using that word. That's the same thing. But I, but okay. I think it's fair to suggest that's not the same thing anymore. You're no, right. No, it, I mean, it isn't to me. Pro- progressives are, are the left. I mean, the progressive purity it, test it, now is it, a thing. You know, it's it's it, it's it's to the left, frankly, of, of Rachel Notley. I see her as a moderate NDP. I, I see some 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 people in her crowd naturally as as to the left of her. That's where I see the progressives. So are you sticking bog, a fork in the, down on the labels? What about the I'm title sorry. though of progressive conservative? Can that even be a thing anymore? Then I mean, if if you're saying that the word progressive is is left of Notley, who Notley's right. a moderate herself but but so then i guess progressive conservative has gone to die for good no i i I would love to see the you know i'm big on resurrections ryan you know (laughs) and i'd be very very big on the resurrection of progressive conservatism but uh, the the word progressive in general today means left of center in many cases significantly left of center so i'm just talking about the center here i'm just talking about centerize and i i just i just think that the danielle smith the real the real danielle smith is pretty close to center right. She's, she's a right of center libertarian person. Nothing like the people in that crowd, nothing like uh, David Parker. And I don't, regardless of how I may feel about uh, Danielle Smith, I really, really don't like the idea of, of a premier, any premier uh, feeling intimidated by, by David Parker's team. Yeah, uh, interesting comments on our live chat here. We welcome our, our viewers joining us live on the on the Mixler live streaming audio app presented by California Closets and on YouTube as well. Jason says, nothing gets me more pissed off these days than when the term woke left is tossed around, like being aware of social issues is a bad thing. Jill says, right, progressive conservatives are the Alberta NDP. Uh, maybe, but then if you're a real lefty, what's your party? I don't know. Uh, Bunny Slipper says we don't have a democracy if Daniel Smith is going to be in constant fear of being removed 
by Take Back Alberta. Danielle Smith says uh, to reporters that she's going to take it all into consideration. She's going to take these resolutions back to her caucus. Uh, she's going to be talking to her team, Charles, and and they'll decide on on to which degree these resolutions are implemented into policy. Uh, you know, premiers aren't beholden to stuff like this, but if they completely ignore the base, you can on one hand cheer that you've got 3,800 people in a room, the biggest convention believed to be the biggest convention in Alberta's history, and then at the same time ignore everything that they asked you to do. It's a tough spot to be in. If, if she doesn't do what they want her to do, they will take her out. They've got a record of taking her premiers out. They took out Jason Kenney, and they will not hesitate to take her out because that's the only way they perceive that they're wielding power. So if they're treated like when Danielle Smith always mentions, you know, take back Alberta, oh, it's just, an, it's just, a, it's just another stakeholder. No, it's not another stakeholder. It, it's got, it's, I mean, I hate, you know, I hate to use, you know, different analogies, but I guess I have to. They have the boot on the throat of the UCP in every single writing. And that boot is a powerful boot. You'd need a very, very powerful John Deere tractor to attempt to remove that boot. So, no, I, I, I don't see this as just another day on the beach. I don't see this as just another AGM. Mm. This is different. And the reason it's different is because Parker and his crew are absolutely serious about controlling the United Conservative Party. I'd be curious to know, like, of, of the average party member, um, to what degree they would be concerned about losing the room. You know, like, like Parker was tweeting over the weekend. Uh, we've talked about him a lot today, haven't we? Uh, you'd think he was the leader of the party or the president of the party. He's definitely not. Uh, but he was saying, you know, rural Alberta has a higher population than Calgary and Edmonton combined. We are the majority. Number one. Not true. Um, that's basic math. That's absolutely not even close to true. Um, but. You do run the risk, right, even if you are the united conservatives, that if you start to swing far right, like social conservative, far evangelical Christian right, um, that you you get a, a certain number of people that say this just isn't palatable anymore. And then if you remove a premier like Danielle Smith because she's not right enough, uh, then I think you start to maybe take for granted that support? I'm not saying that everybody's going to flock over to the NDP, but it could create an interesting dynamic. Ryan, you, you've got to at some point deal with the reality that the UCP didn't win the last election. Take back Alberta did. Just take a look at the writings. When David Parker says that the rural, rural Alberta is the majority, he's not telling the truth, but he is telling the truth in terms of where the UCP is and UCP writings. They, they what they went won a, a couple of writings in Calgary, and outside of that, it was it was rural Alberta. I mean that that that's what happened. That's not a victory for the UCP. That's a victory for the TBA. So, you've got this AGM. The UCP has momentum. How do you respond if you're Rachel Notley? What do you do if you're the NDP? Do you just let it percolate? Do you leave it alone? Do you comment on it? Do you fire back? What do you expect to see from the official opposition? Well, I think uh, in general, when your opponent's house is uh, burning down, uh, you're not responsible for, for being the firefighter. You, mm. you, you tend to let it burn. So if I, were, if I were Rachel Notley, I wouldn't overreact to this. I would just let traditional conservatives and moderate conservatives and, yes, progressive conservatives react to all this and, and, and have Albertans, conservative Albertans, asking fellow conservative Albertans, do we really want this? Is this really... Are these social conservative priorities the most important priorities 
in the lies of Alberta? And I would suggest the answer to that is a very, very easy no. Yeah, it's interesting, though, when you're talking about when your house is burning down, it's like nobody that was there this weekend would subscribe to that even one bit. I mean, you know, I have some friends that were there. I mean, the, the momentum, the energy in the room, the parties after the hospitality suites, like basically 4,000 people. Nobody there, I don't think, believes that the house is burning down. They're not believing the house is burning down, but for moderate and progressive conservatives, the house burned down. Hmm. And if, if they're not upset about it, then that, that, that's fine. You know, I'm not trying to tell them what to think or, or how to behave. It just seems from, from my perspective... This is not a united conservative party. This is a social conservative party. This is, uh, this is just another name for the, the wild rose. And I just don't believe that you can leave out all the progressive conservatives and moderate conservatives and just have them go away and, and play nice. I mean, you know, it was interesting to hear Erica Broody bring this up. And she said, what is this 2012? I mean, the, the Wild Rose Party was getting close to governing in Alberta in, in, in relatively recent history, although it does feel like a lifetime ago, 2012, and, and the whole Lake of Fire thing. But maybe it's not a surprise. Maybe, maybe just unapologetically the party moves forward, united in name only, or united for the simple reason that there's not another alternative for people that want to vote for a conservative party and won't vote NDP. I mean, there's that, too. Absolutely. Look, the the truth of the matter is the average person, regardless of what their label is, is fairly indifferent to politics until it bites them in the backside. Mm -hmm. um, maybe maybe the the TBA, the Take Back Alberta people can get everything they want. And maybe the overwhelming majority of Albertans will not notice that anything happened. Maybe they will not uh, um, see what's happening in the schools and what they're pushing on the schools as a bad thing. Maybe they see, I mean, you know, the term parental rights. I think I know what parental rights is all about. I think I know that it's a, a Trojan horse for, for, for social conservatives. And that's a, a nice way of putting it because some of them are well beyond just social conservatives. Some of them are, are far right. But, you know, the, the term parental rights is, 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 you know, it sounds so benign. You know, why shouldn't parents have rights? Maybe it won't matter. But we'll see in the coming months. But I, I don't think it has anything to do with what Rachel Notley's rhetoric is all about. Yeah. It's what parents, real parents, and everyone else is starting to feel about the changes that are coming. And let me tell you something. If no changes are coming, if all of this is just lip service, if all of this is just rhetoric, David Parker ain't happy. David Parker is a puppet master, and every puppet master I've ever known thrives on chaos. It's kind of like you look at the branding around this, right? It It's pretty astute to refer to this movement as parents' rights because who in their right mind will argue against parents' rights? It's very difficult to say, to argue, the to take the opposite position. Like, I don't believe parents should have rights. No one in their right <laughs> mind would say that. No politician <laughs> in their right mind. Nobody would even ever believe that. But, but, but parents' rights is not necessarily an accurate reflection of what the parents' rights crew wants to see happen. It's not to preserve parents' rights. It's about something completely different, right? About school policy and disclosure and, and what psychologists and, 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 and uh, you know, educational professionals and everybody is talking about and the needs to protect the rights of vulnerable kids. But Mark, I had, a, I had a conversation, not to get off track, Chuck, with a guy just the other day. He said, you want to know one of, the, one of the most genius marketing moves in Alberta's history, in Canadian energy history? It was not rebranding the tar sands, the oil sands. That was pretty good. He said, natural gas, natural gas. 
It's gas. Somebody decided to call it natural <laughs> gas, and then everybody felt much more comfortable having it piped into their home, and we're lucky to have it. Right. But yeah. natural gas. It's like parents' rights. Well, obviously, yeah. you know. How about how about ethical oil? Ethical oil. <laughs> that one didn't quite. We tried stamping that on barrels, but it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you can play games with, you know, unless you're directly talking to the people most directly affected. So who is most affected by the so-called parents' rights movement? You know, gay kids, LGBT kids, trans kids. They're the ones most affected. And I'm sorry. I have interviewed a number of people. I have I have lived a, a very full life, a very rich life. I've had access to a lot of people. And uh, in in all strains, in all orientations, none of this is exotic to me. None of this is just a TV show. And I have known many young people who had problems dealing with their orientation. And the last people on earth they could talk to, the last people were their parents. So this idea that the, that that kids. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about 12, 13, 14 year old kids. You know, the, the idea that they are forced to have a relationship on this issue with their parents, that they cannot discuss any of this with their teachers, that they cannot get information in schools, that these so-called parental rights zealots are actually prepared to take books out of libraries. I'm not saying that they'll burn them. They'll just kind of remove them. But they'll want to take a look at every single thing that a teacher does and says. That the idea that teachers should feel intimidated by these zealots. I mean, if that's an Alberta that, that people want, if that's an Alberta people believe in, once again, that's up to Albertans. But somehow, I don't think that's the way most people want their societies uh, to, 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 to be engineered. And the, the people on the right for many years talked about social engineering. Well, excuse me, this is social engineering. Mm-hmm. The parental rights movement is all about social engineering. Finally, what sort of ripple effect do you think all of this has, if any, on federal politics? Like, if you're Pierre Polyev or his team watching yeah. this, or if you're Justin Trudeau and his team watching this, what's your take on that? Well, someone like Pierre Polyev, who, who takes a look at clicks and cash all the time, and that's not, I'm not disparaging, I'm just saying, he's a, he's a political entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Every single province is a laboratory where ideas and movements are tested. And if he feels that this is really, really popular in Alberta, and if there is very little opposition to it, if this thing just keeps steamrolling, I wouldn't bet the farm that Pierre Polyev won't want to introduce this stuff and pay more than just lip service to it nationally. And you can't tell me that there's this crowd of people, you know, almost 4,000 people who, who fill the BMO Center um, for provincial politics in the, the UCP. You can't tell me that these people aren't national conservatives, that these people don't support the federal conservatives, and that there isn't a lot of cross-pollination. I mean, John Hicks was talking a few moments ago about beekeepers. You know, these are beekeepers. They, you know, they're interested in pollination. They want the bees to be alive. They want, they want the bees to, to reproduce. So the idea that the people in Alberta who are, who are a part of this, and I mean, they're feverishly part of this, the idea that they don't want uh, this to be part of a national movement, movement I'm, I'm sorry, it's too small a country in terms of population. Too many people know other people, and, they're, and the people in Alberta know people in Saskatchewan, they know people in Manitoba, they know people in Ontario. This thing is moving forward, and it really will move forward 
if the majority of Canadians go, yeah, parental rights sounds okay to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the most experienced beekeeper that gets a little bit lazy or takes their eyes off the prize <laughs> can get stung, though, right, Chuck? Yes, I mean, I just yeah. I look well, at. I, I, you, you, I think I think we're getting stung, and 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 that's not that's not me being a radical. That's just me being a a moderate who's who's paying attention. Yeah, I mean, but it's 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 not Premier Eby in BC, and it's not Premier Ford in Ontario that are rolling out parents you know parental rights uh legislation that are threatening to invoke the notwithstanding clause it's it's uh, new brunswick which is not to suggest negligible numbers of mps in the house but basically uh saskatchewan which is guaranteed to send all conservatives and alberta which is guaranteed to send mostly if not all conservatives so if i'm pierre polyev i'm looking at this he has been hesitant to endorse what he's seen out of New Brunswick and Saskatchewan to this point because he knows he won't be prime minister unless he wins in Vancouver and Toronto and not to suggest there aren't ardent conservatives there I mean you know I went to university in Langley have friends in Abbotsford and Aldergrove and Chilliwack and it's chock full of conservatives social conservatives at that but you're not going to form a majority government by getting on board with like right wing social conservatism. That's my prediction. That's my take. And so I expect a more moderate Pierre Poliev on this one. Well, I think Langley and Chilliwack are spiritually connected to Alberta, far more <laughs> to Alberta than they are to BC. I think everyone, You're not wrong everyone about that. There knows that. You're not wrong about that. Hey, Cadmus yeah. Rex on the live chat says we need more Charles Adlers. I like that. I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Get on that, Chuck. What are you waiting for? I need, I need, you know, I need a good beekeeper. To, yeah. You know, a good beekeeper can figure out how we can create more Charles Adler bees. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I would tell you to buzz off, but it might come across as though I didn't well, thoroughly enjoy this right. conversation. Right. Hey, pal, we love you. We look forward to this every week. Thanks for doing it. Thank you, and thank you very much t- today for not forcing me into the swamp of the middle east i always have to take oh. several showers after those conversations no mm. i know and, and listen i know and, and and we actually have some strongly worded emails about you know some things that you and i have talked about and i get it it's it's obviously a horrific tragedy you and i have talked about it a lot it's front of mind it's for everybody but but the the lead story this week is the ucp agm we're talking alberta politics a- absolutely the only thing i, I want to say if we we have a moment here about the middle east thing uh, one of the reasons those kinds of public conversations really grind me is because people have this takeaway that in this case, yours truly or you or anybody else talking about cares more about the lives of these kids than those kids. And that's nonsense. I care about the lives of, of all the kids and I care about lives equally. That's the creed that I was brought up with. And certainly when it came to values, my grandmother was the one most influential and she felt very strongly that all people are equal. And the moment any side, anybody starts, as you talked about later uh, in the conversation after I left last week, about dehumanization. Mm-hmm. My grandmother taught me anyone who is dehumanizing has got to be stopped because that is the beginning of a very, very bad train. Well said, Charles. We'll talk to you again in a week, pal. Thank you. You got it. He's the host of the Charles Adler Show. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. You can follow him on Twitter. Great guy. At Charles Adler. Uh, Alberta Girl says, take back Alberta members or people I used to think were my friends. They're angry. Danielle cannot serve two masters. Take back Alberta and her old bosses in oil and, ga- in oil and gas. Alberta Girl says, tick, tick, tick. It is a 
matter of time. Wow. Cassandra says, I love how Charles doesn't mince words. Yeah, what did he say? A social conservative orgy? <laughs> uh, he said the word orgy twice. Just I orgy would, twice. It's a, little, it's a little over the top. But yeah, yeah. I will say this parental rights thing. You're totally right. And I love Erica, but like. I didn't like how Erica didn't answer the question. She asked you a question back. Mm -hmm. But you're right. This isn't about like parental rights. It's about control. And we've saw this. Well, I wasn't alive, but the, the parental rights came up before de decades ago in the 60s. It was the same people who What's tried a recurring to theme? They tried to oppose desegregation and busing to schools in the 60s by by bringing up parental rights. It's, mm. it's, it has nothing to do. You already have the rights. You know what I think? teachers should do because they're right in the middle of this i feel the worst for the teachers not the kids or the parents they should just strike for a couple months send them oh, home geez. january february that oh, that geez. time when the parents are the wallets are thin and, and sad is kicking in see how they like having the kids at home for that's, eight weeks that's a terrible <laughs> idea that is a terrible idea uh ken i love you just laughing this is for your own entertainment that's why you want to just see torture it. uh ken says it's pretty hard when you believe in democracy and you don't have a party that aligns with your ideas totally true ken he says and there are there are many like charles is describing who i call pc or progressive conservative orphans both provincially and federally uh noob says seems like if you, if you have a heart and you're concerned about how we use our money there really isn't a good option provincially or federally uh kind of interesting um yeah i, I see some of you in here talking about how i'm like an apologist for the UCP and I'm trying to justify how I desperately want to vote for Polyev. What show are you listening to? I just, I think that's hilarious. Um, MZ coach says Alberta's in it for the ride of our lives with this party at the helm, the ride of our lives. Uh, Sharon says the thing that is not being said is children's rights. Kids have rights too. Uh, and that's undeniable. I mean, that, that, that's the whole thing uh, around the notwithstanding clause. That's exactly what, I mean, I'm not a, constitutional lawyer i'm not going to get too deep into this but that's exactly what the notwithstanding clause is is it's suspending the rights of one group to preserve protect the rights of another and so essentially what uh scott moe is doing is suspending the rights of kids to preserve quote unquote the rights of parents that's basically what it is uh, tracy says david parker wants parents to vote in their own school principals can you imagine that shit show I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that Americans vote elect judges. I think that's bonkers. Uh, Tony says the parents that want to ban books probably haven't picked up a book ever in their lives. Um, M.A. says doctors have fled the province. Nurses are fleeing the province and the profession. Now watch teachers do the same. It'll be interesting to see Daniel Smith, uh, you know, in that speech over the weekend. She got into their plan for AHS, she just touched on it. She did the same when she joined us here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she basically, not a couple of weeks ago, last week. And she said, we got big things coming for Alberta Health Services. And the big word that she used over the weekend was decentralization. And there was significant applause when she talked about restoring resources back to the front lines. I mean, who's going to argue against that? But the implications of that could be big. A major restructuring. Uh, on the single biggest line item in the Alberta budget, and that is health. We're going to focus on the Alberta budget. We're going to focus on Alberta's economic landscape. In 60 seconds, when the president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce joins me, Shauna Feth, she was there at the Alberta legislature when Bill 1 was introduced. Remember this, the Taxpayer Protection Amendment Act? Uh, we're going to get into it with Shauna. When we Focus our eye on Alberta business. But first, we want to let you know that our friends at Eden Landscaping 
at this time of year are getting set to sit down with clients and potential clients to start talking about vision. They want to show you how they can take your vision and execute it with precise attention to detail. So whether that's something like edible garden boxes, uh, a few doors down from us, our neighbors turned their entire front yard into like a little micro urban farm. It's so cool. Uh, Maybe you're looking for an excavation project. You need ground leveled. Maybe you have a drainage problem. Maybe you're looking to remove existing greenery. They do it all, ensuring that every project starts with the right foundation. Hardscaping, beautiful stonework, of course, retaining walls, either for practical purposes or aesthetic purposes or both. What about a water feature? What about an outdoor kitchen? Eden Landscaping does it all and has done for more than 20 years, earning referrals and return business from their clients. You can get in touch with them today by checking out landscapeedmonton.ca. And if you're starting to get restless with where you're at right now, I'm just talking about in life. It could be your career. It could be the fact that you, you want to level up your understanding on something like AI or maybe a career in HR. Or maybe you've always wanted to be a researcher and now's the time to do it. Check out Athabasca University online. They've got world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You know, more than 95% of Athabasca University grads that are polled say they're satisfied with the quality of their education. 95%? Same number of them would recommend AU to others, and nearly 9 out of 10 grads report that they're working in a job related to their field of study. Not every post-secondary can make that claim. You can get the process started today or maybe just dip your toes in the pool, get a sense of what it might look like one day to study there by checking them out online. That's where you'll be doing your studying as well at AthabascaU.ca. The first Monday of every month, we have an opportunity to focus our eye on Alberta business with the president and CEO of Alberta Chambers of Commerce. It's Shauna Feth who wanted to be with us in studio today but it sounds like you were one of the many albertans affected by these fog warnings what was it like when you went to venture out on the highway this morning what did that look like yeah like a white wall basically in the dark <laughs> so Unbelievable. i appreciate you accommodating me oh no problem at all safety first <laughs> and uh and, and it's great to see your face uh shauna last week was a huge one of course as the fall session begins at the alberta legislature bill one sends a message as one of the government's top priorities the taxpayer protection amendment act let's talk about it from a business perspective uh, you were there Yeah, yeah, I was really fortunate to be asked by the Premier and Minister Horner to join them in the announcement. So uh, really, you know, putting surety into all Albertans that our taxes aren't going to be raised unless Alberta says they want them raised. Um, You know, from a Alberta Chamber perspective, this in line with the fiscal framework, uh, because the fiscal framework puts the guardrails on how money can be spent, how tax dollars can be spent, and mandates, you know, that it's being invested, uh, we're paying down debt, we're putting back into the Heritage, Heritage Savings Fund. So, you know, plateauing taxes, creating that economic surety, and, you know, that attraction for investment into the province as the lowest tax jurisdiction is uh, quite appealing to the business community. 
how are you feeling right now when you when you kind of put your finger on the pulse of where the economy's at right now? If you know, basically businesses that have maybe been struggling to keep their head above water over the past few years, some that have been doing well and want to make sure that the the landscape remains like it looks like, and then maybe some people that are willing to take a big risk and start a business right right now. You've got it's your job to have your finger on the pulse. What what are you picking up? Yeah. And again, you know, it's, it's as specifically as it pertains to the one, it creates that surety that, you know, not next year where our taxes are going to go up by 2% or whatever the case may be. I mean, we saw with previous governments when taxes were raised, it actually decreased the the corporate revenues in our provincial coffers. Uh, so it just creates that surety and that investment landscape that um, business wants. Uh, and, and we're excited that uh, our government is moving in that direction. There's uh, been a lot of talk, and, and the Premier touched on it this weekend at the AGM about Alberta's anticipated population growth. I'm having a hard time mm-hmm. wrapping my mind around it, to be honest with you, to imagine that the population of Alberta could double. As a matter of fact, is forecasted to double over the next 25 years or so, 27 years uh, to be exact. What are the implications on business, aside from maybe the, the obvious? Well, I mean, you think by 2050, if we are at 10 million people, which is the projection, um, you know, that creates a lot of opportunity in terms of, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors, businesses opening opportunities to hire uh, all of those individuals coming in, um, those individuals being very creative in terms of generating new opportunities for for Alberta or new industries or new um, revenue streams. So that's all very exciting. I think the, the cautionary tale here is how are we going to accommodate that? I mean, we know right now in Alberta, we're already facing, you know, inflationary pressures. Um, businesses are, you know, looking at how are they going to, you know, keep the lights on uh, sometimes because our our costs of doing business are so high. And so there's that. There's, you know, how are we going to accommodate, you know, for housing and, you know, all of the different infrastructure that's going to need to be in place in order to support a population growth of that size. Um, but with new people coming in, like I said, that's going to generate new opportunity. And so, you know, if we can figure out the the bigger picture items uh, and and be able to accommodate for that, I think it's going to create a, an environment in Alberta where we can have new ideas and new opportunities and uh, just grow our province's economy. Yeah. You, you look at sort of how we've built our cities um, and the footprints of those cities and you recognize, I think, to state the obvious, that if you're going to accommodate doubling a population, there's going to be a lot more building up than out, mm-hmm. um, especially because of the implications on service delivery, even basics like you know sewer and fire and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's also an exciting time, I think, or, or, or reason for optimism if you work in real estate development, the trades, like skilled labor, like th- there are huge spin-off effects, uh, which obviously positions Alberta well economically from from sort of like a recruitment and retention standpoint as well, right? I mean, I've heard that this this Alberta is calling campaigns actually arguably, and, and this is, I guess, a good place to be, been somewhat too successful uh, because the, so many people are moving here. Somebody told me over the weekend that seven to 10 people on average move to Calgary every single day. I mean, if you think about that, it is pretty wild to think about. And the number's probably larger and larger with every passing month. Yeah. And again, you know, it's we really have to be paying attention to. And I mean, here's where the opportunity is generated, right? As you said, you know, there's lots of different industries that are going to really benefit from the population growth. It's just going to have to be 
really thoughtful from a provincial perspective how we support um, the generation of all of the infrastructure, all of those things, um, supporting all of those businesses that are going to have to scale up or start up in order to accommodate uh, a population growth of that size. Uh, but again, as you said, it's it's exciting times and it could be great opportunities for our business community in the province. Yeah, I want to fact check myself, by the way. I blew that number. I did a quick search of Calgary's metro population, 2023, 1.64 million, uh, including Calgary and surrounding areas. That's up 1.8%, about 30,000 from last year. So it's got to be 100 people a day that are moving to Calgary, which is pretty wild. That's just Calgary alone. So when we yeah. look at, at basically the, the outlook that this government has on economic activity and some of the biggest issues right now, is it safe to say, uh, based on the speech from the throne as well, that energy and electricity are two of the huge ones? It's, it's, what, it's what the average civilian's talking about right now, too, with prices and grid security and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, when I talked earlier about inflationary pressures, um, you know, one of the the hardest hit uh, services is, of, co- of course, electricity for businesses. And, you know, we, we're hearing stories about uh, businesses where their electricity costs are actually elapsing their lease costs. So they're paying more for electricity than they're paying for their lease. Like we've never seen that before in the history of Alberta. I think positively that, um, you know, I've heard the premier speak a couple times in the last few weeks. They are really, um, they have really mandated the minister to take a look at um, providing a framework going forward for how we are going to rein in these costs because it's just completely unsustainable for our business community and for the Alberta population at, at large. And so, what is that in terms of the regulatory environment, infrastructure? Uh, how are we going to be supporting a really reliable grid as well? Uh, and of course, we know that in our province, that means we need to use natural gas. And so that leads into other challenges with the feds in terms of what they're doing with the carbon pricing and how do we create a level playing field in Alberta so that we can really have affordable, reliable electricity. And I'm excited that provincially we, you know, we know we have a government that's been mandated to take a look at how are we going to do that? How are we going to make it affordable for Albertans? Uh, And they seem to be really genuinely invested in doing that. So that's very positive. Um, I, I don't know how political you want to get on this, Shauna, but I can't help myself. I have to ask you. It was just it was an inflammatory comment made by by a cabinet minister last week. Um, we talked on the show about the the uh, the heating oil break that Atlantic Canadians are getting. And obviously uh, we talked to the premier about it here in studio last week on Wednesday as well. Uh, no break for for uh, prairie dwelling Canadians that are utilizing natural gas and uh, basically rural economic development minister Goody Hutchings on CTV's question period. Uh, a week ago says, well, Atlantic caucus, in other words, the liberal MPs uh, from Atlantic Canada were vocal with what they've heard from their constituents um, talking about the prairies, quote, perhaps they need to elect more liberals on the prairies so that we can have that conversation as well. It's like, wow, uh, that's not exactly uh, governing for all. It at least doesn't give off that vibe. But but in your role as president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers, what are your thoughts on that comment? Well, I guess let's let's look at the bright side. At least the the elephant is in the room. It's been named now. I mean, <laughs> we've been alluding to that for, you know, several years, the fact that Alberta is not getting treated equally. Uh, and so at least now it's named and and you know, our premier has come out and again has been very vocal about 
the fact that, you know, this is just not fair and not constitutional that we're making, we're winning, picking winners and losers across the country in terms of how we're going to um, look at that carbon tax and how the the additional pressures from an inflationary perspective that that's putting on our businesses and our communities. So, you know, at least, at least we all know where we stand now. <laughs> uh, Shauna, people that, that uh, are not yet members, business owners, operators that are not yet members of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce can check out what you do, what your team does at abchamber.ca. We'll obviously link to that in the show notes as well in the podcast and on YouTube. But but uh, tell me what's going on com- uh, coming up on uh, November 9th this week. You've got the, the deputy ministers of all the ministries at, at a dinner. I, I should note, not to disappoint people, but I understand it's already sold out. But But what's going on with that's a big deal to get them all out at one event. What's happening? Yeah, so we actually have two major events this week, Ryan. We have, uh, first of all, on November 8th, we have our Talent Development Symposium, which is really exciting. That's our opportunity to get elected elected officials, industry, uh, and all the post-secondaries into the same room to talk about these critical issues of our skills and labor shortages and how are we looking to create the workforce of the future and how are we working collectively as industry and post-secondary to support um, that going forward in a, a really collaborative way to make sure that we get some really great outcomes for our business community and the province. And then on November 9th, the next day, as you said, we have our our, ta- our um, uh, ball board meeting and deputy minister's dinner, which we're really excited to say for the first time ever, uh, we have all 28 ministries represented. So that's, again, just a fantastic opportunity to support our businesses getting in front of their um, their the staffers who are doing the, the work in the ministries and really talk to them about the challenges they're facing and the things going on in their communities that they need addressed from a provincial perspective. And to your point, again, we're really excited that that's sold out. Uh, and in addition to that, to um, with our, our talent development symposium, uh, we also have right now out in the field, our skills and labor market uh, survey. It's running till November 17th. So what that is, is we're just trying to click, collect in real time the data that we need to support some of that strategy in terms of developing that workforce for the province uh, today and going forward. So we've got lots, lots of things going on this week. Great stuff. Uh, Shauna Feth is the president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. You can learn more about their priorities, programs and initiative, news and events, and everything else, ways you can get involved by checking out abchamber.ca. Shauna, we'll, we'll hope for better weather and good road conditions on Monday, December 4th. And if it's possible, we'll have you here in studio. If not, we'll do this again. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan. Have yep. a great day. You got it. Shauna Feth is the president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. Um, a great comment here uh, in the live chat as well. It's just a very simple comment, but it's a great one from Brian uh, in talking about, you know, a population explosion from basically 5 million to 10 million over the next 25 years. And we're talking about the grid. We're talking about housing, services, infrastructure. He says, what about water? Yeah. And I wanted to remind you that if you didn't see Jenny Yeremy on Real Talk last week, she's a geophysicist with like 20 years of experience in oil and gas. You can check that show out uh, just from four days ago. Uh, Jenny Yeremy, you're looking for the episode wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube titled Could Your City Run Out of Water? By 2024, Alberta's water woes. And that's not fear factor, Johnny. That's no. that there are cities right now in southern Alberta that are currently 
trucking in water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I don't know about you, but that conversation with Jenny, who's been a well remediation expert, she's done a ton of work in the field, mm-hmm. um, was a bit of a wake up call, a bit, a bit of a gut punch, a bit of a wake up call, but also a call to action, which well, I think was good as well. Well, we heard about Cochrane just a week and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, th- these are the real world problems that are happening. You know what I can't wait for? Natural water. Natural Over 60% water. real water. <laughs> <laughs> natural gas you know what and and when when my my buddy was talking to me about this and i and i won't say what context it was in because he's working on a file where they're trying to come up with the next natural gas mm-hmm. i'm not talking about the the the, the fossil fuel or yeah the, I'm, I'm talking about branding yeah they're trying to brand something else that's he, horrible and it, no, <laughs> no, no, no 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 i mean natural gas i mean well jenny talked about that as well where she argued that it's no better than coal fascinating stuff we want people to think you're right and, though it's like it's like low-fat cookies yeah like, there's like still natural cookies. gas but you don't <laughs> if it was just like if it had some other name yeah like you know i'm trying to think like bitumen or butane yeah, or kerosene grimy, or all these yeah. numbers you're kind of like you know crude crude <laughs> crude is the worst you're sort of like you know but but when you think of like you know what's going to heat your home like your home man mm-hmm. when you hear that you know people this time of year you're starting to hear you haven't heard that sound for for many many months you're hearing the thermostat click and the furnace <laughs> ignite and you hear that I don't get nervous when I hear that. Me I don't get I don't get nervous when it's I make my security. my boys yeah. eggs and I turn on the natural gas range. Ooh. I feel good about it. I'm lucky to have it on demand. I'm grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that the slick marketing behind natural gas <laughs> it was really so, smart. And, yeah. and and I was I was like doubled over laughing when he pointed that out to me because I was like I've never thought of that it's everywhere it's brilliant mild cigarettes they'll kill (laughs) you but not as fast (laughs) taste-filled cigarettes over 75 percent h2o in natural water yeah i love it um let us know what you think about this or anything else that we've been talking about we've we've got a a big week in store where we're going to be covering a lot of ground uh tomorrow our friends from our our alberta municipalities are going to join us and and we're going to get into some of their takes i mean obviously there's a lot of focus on politics right now we we, we live and are raising our families in Alberta, so we we focus a lot on Alberta politics mm-hmm. and what's happening here, and and never just on the like he said, she said, but also the what does it mean for you? And you go a long way in letting us know how that stuff is landing uh, by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com, by hitting us up on our social media channels. Our TikTok is just off the hook right now. Banging. You can follow us on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Twitter at RealTalkRJ. You know, every Monday, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy give us an opportunity to focus on the positives, to put put all else aside and to celebrate something that's happening in the world around us that's giving us reason for hope, that's making us smile. And we oftentimes encourage you to be in touch with the stories that you'd love us to tell. And that is exactly what Delaney did today. Check out this story out of Auckland, New Zealand. Look at this beautiful bird here. There is an endangered bird in New Zealand. And, and Johnny, here's the deal. This bird has like been into one and like not in a good way. It's been endangered. It's been endangered for a long, long time, okay? Because garter snakes and these little weasels called stoats have been poaching their eggs. But this beautiful bird known as the dotterel, the dotterel has found a safe space on the tarmacs at the Auckland airport in like literally the loudest possible environment 
with 737s and 747s and big, huge jets flying in and out. The Dotterel has found that the fencing around the airport, the noise, the commotion is keeping garter snakes and stoats away. Wow. And so staff at the Auckland airport are actually heading out between the runways and marking where these nests are so they can preserve the eggs and ensure that there will be a next generation of New Zealand dotterels. And they say over the past 10 years, since they first started noticing this phenomenon, they believe that 80 of these birds have hatched at the airport. Now, why is that significant? Because it's only believed to be a population globally of 2,500. So we're talking big, huge numbers here. I just want to give a big shout out and thanks to the Auckland Airport for the video to the New Zealand dotterel, an endangered bird, a story of survival by innovating and adjusting and pivoting. So a shout out this week for you and me to be a New Zealand dotterel (laughs) in the face of adversity. If something's got you down, think of this small but mighty bird that is laughing at the garter snakes, that's laughing at the stoats, and that's finding a way to procreate, to take flight. And as Adler would say, a a daughter daughter orgy. orgy. (laughs) We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for being a part of this episode of Real Talk. Make sure you hit like, subscribe if you don't already, and tell your friends about what we're talking about. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer, Josh Dunford, technical producer, John Hicks, general manager, Katie Cook-Chivers, account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego, human resources, Lena Shepard, website design, Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Dubetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 